the blood, the preaching of the blood is becoming less and less. Some have actually said there's too much preaching of the blood now. That's been said in a meeting. Too much preaching of the blood of Christ. And some think that the preaching of the blood is foolishness because we need to move on from these things. Uh, it's a bloodletting and they call it a, a bloody gospel. Well, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, as we, this morning, possibly next Sunday, the Lord willing, uh, I want to tell you that in this house, we'll always be preaching the blood. And we're going to look at the blood. And because it's my first week, as it were, back, I was here on Friday night. By the way, we had a great night with Clan Elise, the group, and the youth with um, Aaron Green giving his testimony and Josh showing his video with Poland. And we had a great night on Friday night. And the Lord bless you. And uh, there was a, a lovely sense of the Lord here. And it was just a good night all around. But, you know, whenever we're... I brought a word on Friday night and I felt a little weak in my voice still from losing my voice. And it is not 100% here yet, but this morning I'm going to teach more to keep me more settled rather than preach because that's when I start losing my voice. I'm going to try that anyhow. So let's turn to the scriptures this morning. We want to turn to Leviticus chapter 17. We have three scriptures we're going to look at this morning for a basis of what we want to teach Leviticus chapter 17. Let your eye run down to verse 10 and verse 11. Leviticus 17 and verse of the house like this. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood. I want you to underline that for if not this morning possibly next Sunday morning we want to look at this in con- in, uh, along with uh, in concordance with John chapter 6 when Jesus says if any man eat not of my flesh and drink of my blood he's not of his and where transubstantiation from the church of Rome is really based upon scripture of John chapter 6 we want to look at how uh, the Lord Jesus said that the words that he is speaking are spirit, not literal when he's speaking of his body and blood. That's why we take of the emblems. Uh, They are a reminder, a remembrance of the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice. So note this, if Christ is talking about literally eating his body, literally drinking his blood, then he's breaking the law and commandments of his Father. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. Again, coming around the table there, we've seen how Glenn had read from Romans 5 and Romans 5 and 11 tells us that the blood of Jesus is the atonement. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't realize Glenn was going to read that, neither he my reading, so we know that the Lord is uh, working among us this morning. So it says in verse 11, 
for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Would you say the blood? Would you say it and mean it? Would you say it one more time? The blood. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul and nothing else. So then will you go with me to John's Gospel, please, chapter 19. John's Gospel, chapter 19. Just a couple of verses. I would advise you to read the whole chapter when you have time. But John's Gospel, 19. And at your eye, please, just run right down. The Lord Jesus is being crucified. Verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs... But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. So the blood flowed from Emmanuel's veins. The blood flowed from the side of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then again, would you just go to Hebrews chapter 12, please? Hebrews chapter 12. And let your eye run down to verse 22. Remember the book of Hebrews was written because people were, who had professed Christ as their Savior, because of persecution, they're starting to turn back to Judaism, to the temple, the, the religious rituals of the temple. And here, the book of Hebrews is written because the temple was finished. What I mean is finished would be destroyed, the lambs in the temple would be no more, and they would bear no fruit. So the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's his blood. It's his blood. And so when we're saved, when we're blood washed, and when we're blood bought, we come to Christ. Now notice what it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Notice this now. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. The new covenant that's speaking of here, it is a new covenant of Daniel chapter 9. It's not an antichrist. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the covenant of Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 33. The same covenant of Hebrews chapter 8 also. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, the Lord said. This is the covenant spoken of here. Notice this. And this is, by the way, the covenant of the blood of the everlasting covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we remembered this morning. Notice here in verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Notice we're coming to him and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. To the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, what we want to do this morning, maybe next Sunday we'll see how the Lord leads us, 
We want to see and speak on, let the blood speak. Let the blood speak. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. We stand, you and I stand before God. When you and I stand and the Lord, whether it's a Protestant or a Catholic or a Jew or whoever else, if we stand before God, God isn't going to ask you what church you went to. He's not interested in that. He knows all about that. He's not going to look at the rituals and the ceremonies you went through and the pomp and, the, and all the splendor and the flesh and all the prideful events that we went to. That is prideful in the sense of man's pride. I'm not talking about gay pride here. Talking to believers this morning. God's not interested in those things. He's not interested in your label, your denomination, your church affiliation. He's not interested in that. The only thing that today speaks in heaven is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that speaks in heaven. When we say it speaks in heaven, it doesn't mean that it has a voice literally speaking words like we speak words. It means the power of the blood, the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the efficacy of the blood, the atonement of the blood, the finished work of Christ, what he done, all that he's accomplished that you and I might be saved by grace through faith in him, that's what the Father acknowledges now in glory. Doesn't going to recognize who you are, how rich you are, how poor you are. He's not interested how good looking you are or what clothes you wear. He's not interested in it. He's interested in the blood of the Lamb. He's looking for the blood of Christ and nothing but the blood. So we want to look at the blood this morning, not just the blood of Jesus, but we want to look at impure blood as well, God helping us and God willing. Notice here, it says in Hebrews 12 and 24, that the blood of sprinkling speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, people tend to think because Cain killed Abel, which we'll go into in a moment, that this means Abel's blood was shed and Jesus speaks louder. Well, of course it does. But that's not what that verse means. That's not what the verse is speaking about. People get it wrong and they think, oh, the blood that was shed when Cain killed Abel and there was that first murder and that innocent blood that was shed. Listen, Abel's blood wasn't innocent. It was innocent to the fact that he was covered by the lamb's blood when he when he slit the little lamb's throat as an offering to God. He was innocent in that sense, but he had his father, our father, Adam's fallen nature, depraved in his nature. His blood was tainted with sin. So the blood of Abel that was shed on the ground when Cain killed Abel is not the blood that Hebrews 12 and 24 is speaking about. He's speaking about the blood of Jesus is greater speaks louder than the blood of the lamb that Abel brought for an offering for atonement. Is everyone with me? It's the lamb blood that Abel brought. That's what the Hebrew writer is speaking of here. Not Abel's own particular blood. In the Bible, there's a pattern through the scripture. It's the scarlet thread of the blood mentioned from Genesis to Revelation. And I think if the blood is mentioned from Genesis to Revelation, then yes, we should be speaking of 
We should be claiming, we should be preaching, we should be teaching, we should be trusting in the blood. Because as I said, it's becoming more prevalent in many places that don't mention the blood, it's a slaughterhouse religion. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. This book that we hold called the Bible, this is a bloody book. From Genesis to Revelation, it's a bloody book. It's about God's redemption of his people. It's about a bloody redemption through the blood of a lamb. And I'm not being facetious nor ignorant to say those things. This is a book about a bloody gospel, about the blood shed. It's about a bloody sacrifice. And I, for one, will remain always a bloody preacher that we may bring the blood of the Lamb to everywhere we go. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That is remission from our sin. And so we must always remember the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a scarlet thread going through from Genesis to Revelation. And we want to look this morning at the law of first mention. The law of first mention. Will you turn with me please to Genesis chapter 4. The book of Genesis and chapter 4. As I said, we'll do it more like a Bible study. Just to give my voice a rest in case I go into preaching mode and overstretch my vocal cords again. Genesis chapter 4. Notice what it says in verse 1. And Adam knew Eve's wife and conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she bare, and, and she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had no respect to Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin laugh at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire." And thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now thou art cursed from the earth which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. So here we find that people mistake Genesis 12 and 24, because, or pardon me, Hebrews 12 and 24, because of Genesis chapter 4 and verse 10. What has thy done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And they mistake that being Abel's blood, and Jesus speaks louder. Of course it speaks louder. His blood, the Lord Jesus' blood, was pure blood, holy blood, spotless blood, without sin, without blemish. But it speaks of the lamb that Abel brought, not Abel's blood. Because the lamb and the lamb's blood was the atonement for the soul. 
The lamb's blood was the atonement to the presence of the Lord. Now note here, in verse, in verse 8 we have premeditated murder. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So here is your first recorded murder. The thing about this is, brothers and sisters, when we boil all of this down, we know they're, they're, that Adam and Eve are in the garden in Genesis 3, and they sin, and their sin brings forth death. So when Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam's, Adam died, we died. And so since that, the depravity of our nature it means that we have no way or any chance of saving ourselves because we are depraved in our nature and it means it means that we are without help and without hope and we have to have aid hence they have bring the lamb Abel brings the lamb the blood is shed and you might say but Cain came with all of the fruit of the ground all of the labor of his hands surely God would respect that more than simply killing a lamb and shedding its blood before God and the answer is no you and I must come the way God tells us to come and you and I must only be able to be saved and come to God and be reconciled to God not through the labors of our hands but by the blood of the lamb only by the blood of the lamb God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice, but he did not respect Cain's. And notice here it says, Cain's countenance fell. The Lord asked him, basically, if I can put it in a modern term, what's wrong with your face? What's wrong with your face? And God is saying to, to Cain at this time, notice what he says, And verse 8, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So the, 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 the very rejection of the works brought so much anger to Cain. Cain, we're told, was off that wicked one. His mind was totally sold out to the works of the hands. Now if this seems familiar to you, it is. Turn back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Notice this. After the sin, after the fall in the garden, let your eye run down Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. And the eyes of them were both opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made aprons, made themselves aprons. So Adam and Eve sewing the fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. Now nakedness and sin go through hand in hand in Scripture. That's why at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ we must be washed in the blood. That's why at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ we're told that we must be born of the Spirit and have His righteousness on us, clothed in His righteousness, rather than us being found, as the Scripture says, naked before Him. doesn't mean that you're going to stand without clothes on. It means naked in our sin, naked in our doing, we'll stand naked before God. Now, notice this in Genesis 3, verse 9. 
Let me go to verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Notice they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? Some might say, how is it that God who knows all things happens to be able now just to turn around and say, where are you? I don't know where you are. That's not what it's reading here. He's calling Adam man out. He's calling him out to come and to confess before him. Of course he knew what he did. And of course he knew where he was. He was saying, Adam, where are you with me? Come before me now. This is what God is saying in the garden to Adam and to Eve. Verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, I was afraid, because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? How did you know that you were naked, Adam? You might say, Well, just look. You see, there was a, a garment, something of light upon Adam, And that was the life force. In fact, there are some people that think at the fall, this life force, when it was retracted, the blood congealed. And that became the living life force until the death of the earthly vessel. For example, I have a friend and he he, uh, cleans carpets and he does police cars. And whenever someone has shed blood in the car, maybe they've been in a fight in the back of the car, every time they have to be cleaned out. And it's just not wiping down with a Dettol or some sort of antiseptic. What they do is they actually get a light and they go over the seats and the blood reacts to this light. And it's believed by some that this light was lost with Adam and Eve. And the blood was that which congealed to what it is, the flowing blood that we know now. Now, I'm not adamant on that, neither am I dogmatic on that, but you can see how whatever way it was, they were clothed with a, 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 some, something they were clothed with, whether it was light or whether it was mentality, that they were clothed with innocency. But here the innocency was gone. The innocency like a child who has been, who is, you know, maybe a few months old or a year old, And when you could be sitting talking to family and friends and the child thinks nothing of walking around without clothes on, they're they're innocent. That's why we hate to hear of of these monsters, uh, pedophiles, taking the innocency of little children. It robs them. Robs them. And here man has lost his innocency in sin. And so the Lord comes and says, Who told you, Adam, that you were naked? Now here's something I want you to grab hold of today. The word for blood through the New Testament, or pardon me, the Old Testament, is the word dom. Dom. English rendering would probably be something like D-A-W-M. Dom, for blood. Adam, as we know him, his Hebrew name is Adam. Adam. And it means rosy, red, one who can show blood in the face, or who shows blood in the face. 
And is it strange or is it not that when you and I are laboring hard and working hard, we show our blood on our face? You may be a big red face because you're laboring hard. Or maybe we have been exerting ourselves in exercise and our face is beetroot red. Or maybe you've been embarrassed and you see the blood going up. Or maybe you're angry and the blood comes up. It's the idea of it. And so here we have the blood, fallen blood. And whether it be that which I spoke of from light to blood or not, I'm not dogmatic on it, but what I mean is this. Adam had lost his innocency. Adam brought a separation from God. His fellowship was done with, and God went looking. Notice, God went seeking. God went searching for Adam. Adam did not go seeking, looking, or searching for God. That's a trait. That is a trait for every one of us. There's not one of us in here. I know this thing, oh, I chose Jesus. No, you never did indeed. He chose you. Notice here, we find that Adam, in the garden, he's now going to sweat when he works. The blood will show. And it's all a sign of the fall and the death of Adam to Adam kind. I'm hoping not losing you here. I'm just trying to go a step at a time with you. So Cain kills Abel. Abel's blood is shed and God remembers that which he did. And he asks Adam, first of all, the first question, Adam, where art thou? God went looking. Isn't it Isn't it true that the Lord Jesus came looking for us? Didn't he come seeking the sheep? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we have this account. Abel was innocent to the fact that he was under that atoning blood. But his own blood that was shed by Cain was blood like yours and mine, just rots. You know, you go to the doctor and there's something wrong. You're feeling ill or whatever it is. You go to the doctor or the hospital and, you know, they always want to get the needle in, don't they? They want to take the blood out. We'll have to do a blood test. A blood test can tell you if you've had a heart attack even a few days ago or whatever it is. I'm not in the medical profession, so I won't pretend that I know it all. Uh, but they can tell that. I've had one done before. Many blood tests, but one for that before. They can tell if there's the virus in your blood or any virus in your blood or whatever's in your blood. And see, our blood is fallen blood. Adam's was sinful fallen blood. And every one of us, every single last one of us, are the same. And so when his blood is shed, although Abel was innocent, and the fact that he brought the sacrifice to the Lord according to the Lord's will and the Lord's command, Abel was still a sinner. Abel was still a sinner. He had Father Adam's nature, Father Adam's germs that you and I all have. So the blood of Abel cried unto the Lord. The word crieth here is the word so'ak. 
The blood of Abel cried unto the Lord. It's the word soak. And there's some examples here from Hebrews 12, 24. There's some examples throughout the New Testament. Let's just look briefly at one or two of them. We'll go into more uh, God willing next week. Go with me, please, to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 18, please. Luke chapter 18. Notice, if you will just let your eye, just for time's sake, let your eye run down to, oh, we'll just read the first seven verses or so. And he spake a parable, that's the Lord Jesus, unto them, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Just let me get a drink. saying there was, a, there was in the city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in the city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not, the God, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. We find here that the word for crieth unto the Lord is the word so, ah, and it's actually used here also. Shall not the Lord, verse 7, shall not God, pardon me, avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with him? The idea here is, is this woman is a widow. There's no social services here. You know, uh, this is, uh, you, you had to make your own way. Her husband has died. She seems to have no other children or sons to look after her. And now this unjust judge comes and will not avenge her of people that are maybe exacting stuff, maybe looking money, maybe looking her to pay in, in goods or whatever. But by her continual coming, she wearies this unjust judge and he gives into her. But the idea of her continual coming uh, uh, to avenge his own elect which cried day and night is the idea of the blood that cries in heaven. It's the idea here that this woman is crying, crying, crying out, keeps crying out, and God will avenge that. And it's the idea where there's been blood that's shed, God will avenge that. Stay with me. Notice what it even says here, just a little sidelight in our verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Of course he'll find faith. He's going to find all manners of faith, all different faith and different gods, so-called different idols and different relics and different ways of worship. He's going to find faith all over the globe in different places. Of course he'll find faith, but the idea here is when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith? That is the faith in Christ and Christ alone. Will he find the faith that was, which was once delivered unto the saints? 
So when churches and people are starting to do things like have these, I'm afraid to even say, because sometimes I get myself in trouble by the time the week's over. They start by not preaching the blood. They start having more entertainment to try and mask what the Spirit of God would do. They want to do things that are ungodly and bring it into the church. And by now, they're actually, some churches have signed up to uh, gay marriage. Same-sex marriage. I got a letter some time ago there. And the letter was from the government. And I, ha- I was asked, are you willing to conduct a same-sex marriages? And then I said, and I wrote, no. And then I says, if you do not fill this in and send it back to us, then we will take it. You don't want to do any marriages. They're crafty, aren't they? And Connor Murphy from Sinn Féin had to come on the TV and apologize because they sent it out. And I got a letter of apology. There was an error in the wording. Brothers and sisters, that's what's coming to the church. That's what's coming to the church. That's what's coming in the land. And we're going to find that, listen, I was talking to someone, a few people have been speaking to you in, in recent times, but another minister the other, the other day. And this is what he said to me. He says, in fact, I was talking to a couple of people who mentioned this to me. He says, you know, I think and I believe that God is sifting his church in these last days. And I'm going to tell you something, brother, sister. He is. And I'll tell you what he's doing. He's showing people what's in them. And he's showing people what's not in them. Will he find faith in the earth? Where we are are at the minute is in persecution, brothers and sisters. This isn't persecution. But it's coming. All these boys at the back that go out preaching in the streets. We see them preaching in the streets. And the the things that are against them that's had to be a few times. Isn't this right, guys? The police have had to be sitting in Round Corn Market in Belfast. Imagine, would you ever have thought an evangelical Ulster that you'd have heard that? So I wonder, in this, these days, from the lockdown, we have found that many Christians, not only here, I'm talking to other pastors, many are, are, are willing to sit at home instead of being in the place of worship, willing to sit and watch online. Maybe we should cut online for a while. But then we've got a lot of faithful people who watch us all over from all online. He can't be with us. And so will he find a faith? Will he find a blood-washed and a blood-bought church? I believe he will because he says, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's going to present to himself a spotless bride. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, it's that we're seeing more and more and more of a time when the church has become watered down, politically correct, to the point where they're afraid to lift their head. 
Listen, it's no good sitting on Facebook and giving off about vaccines and masks. You're not even in a place of worship. It's no good doing that. Here we have the Lord saying, When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. The church has not only become politically correct, but what it's done is become bloodless. Bloodless. Here we find that the Lord is saying, This woman and the unjust judge continually come, and it's the same word as Soach, for here he avenges that blood, or avenges this woman. For example, again, in Revelation chapter 6, if you want to look or you can listen, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, And I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony they held. Notice, for the word of God, for the testimony they held. Verse 10, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, Dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Here's the same word. It's the avenge, the blood. You think of the early church. You think of the apostles. You think of the prophets even before that. But you think of the apostles. You think of the pagan Roman empire, the papal Roman uh, church and, and its empire. You think of all of the the, the, the Reformation and the things that came through that with the people who were massacred and the blood that was shed right up to this day. And the blood is crying. Listen, people aren't hiding under some big ornate altar in heaven shouting, How long, O oh Lord? That's the way some people have it in their mind. The, all these souls are, How long, O oh Lord, under some big altar? That's not what it means. It means that which happened, that which was done to those people, to the saints of God and for their testimony of the word. Notice, they had a testimony. And they died, gave their lives for it, shed their blood for it. And notice here, they're crying, how long, O Lord? So we find that this blood is man's blood shed. Now, here's what I want you to, to zone in on for a, few, for a second here. If God will avenge the blood of the prophets and the apostles and the saints, if God will avenge the blood of Abel and the infantile, as it were, who trusted in the blood from Abel's sacrifice up until today, if God will avenge the blood that was shed, because they were his, how much more will he pour out upon the Christ rejecter because they have denied and rejected the blood of his dear son, the pure blood, the holy blood, the righteous blood? How much more the very wrath of God is upon the Christ rejecter and they know it not? Turn with me to Proverbs 3, please. You turn to Proverbs 3, and usually, including myself, we always mention verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. 
in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's the common one, isn't it? That's the well-known, more popular verse. But turn to Proverbs 3, please. If we are trusting in him, let me just get it to you. Notice what verse 1 says. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Now here is an instruction for those who are trusting in the blood. It's in the heart, not the head only. But the head and the heart. And he's saying, trust my commandment. Listen, brothers and sisters, people say the commandments of the Lord are done away with. No, they're not. The rituals and the ceremonies were done away in Christ. The moral law of the Ten Commandments are written in our hearts. Blood-washed, born-again believers, they're written in us. The Lord says, I will, in the new covenant, I will put my law in their hearts and in their minds. Notice what he says, for, the, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck and write them upon the table of thy heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Here's the, here's the direction for us from the word of God this morning. No matter what's going on in this world, no matter who seems to be elevated, no matter what they say about you know, all the stuff we're reading and seeing and hearing. And I feel like squealing sometimes even when I, when I just turn on the radio have to turn it back off again. I'm, I'm sick to death and I'm tireless and hearing of doom and gloom all the time. Put the commandments in the heart, the word of God. David says, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And that which is not of faith is sin. Thank God for the blood. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes, please. Just a book over Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, please. So now we're looking at the blood of the prophets, blood of the apostles, from Abel right through the blood of the saints and the martyrs. And while the world is ecumenizing, the church world, I'll put it like that, is as an ecumenical movement. And while it seems beginning, and it looks like, well, that's a popular thread. Brothers and sisters, while all of that is happening, we must never forget not only the doctrines of salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Word alone, giving glory to God alone. We must never forget of those who stood for the faith and who have been martyred and their blood has been shed for the truth and the testimony 
of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And God won't forget it. Notice this, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 15. And that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. That's a conundrum for you, isn't it? You'd have to sit down for an hour or two and try and work that one out. Let me read it one more time. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. What on earth is the the book of Ecclesiastes? What is Solomon with all his wisdom telling us? It's maybe going over our heads here. Well, let me put it simply, and I'm going to quote a Hebrew scholar. I quote him on this verse. This verse gives the idea of catching. Catching. The past ages of wrong seemingly fled from us and forgotten and escaped forever shall be called up again. There must. So that which of all wrongs. That's what that means. So that which has already been is now. It's as though it's happened today in the face of God. And whether you're eight or eighty or nine or ninety or whatever age you are, and all of those years have passed, or from birth with Adam's genes and germs, with Adam's lineage in us, his depraved fallen nature, That from birth and the the sins we don't even realize that we have done, the, the ones that we have done by omission and commission, and all of those are now brought through time. And if you're not under the blood, those sins are not forgotten about by God. Those sins haven't been brushed under the carpet by the Lord, not let alone our own nature, which he must judge us for. All of it is mounting up, is mounting up. And you may have said, well, you know, I've done a committed, you don't even have to be a terrible crime, but let me put it to the extreme. I've done something years ago which was horrific. Thank the Lord nobody knew about it. Thank the Lord that it's a way past. And I'm talking about someone who's not saved now. And all of that, it's as though the sins that we committed, even the depravity of our nature, it is right now in the face of God. It's as though it happened just right now. It's as if it happened just this very moment. But I want to tell you something. The Hebrew writer tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ that he hath consecrated a new and living way for us into the presence of God. And what that means is a new and living way. It means a freshly slain, S-L-A-I-N, as though the lamb has been slain. A freshly slain lamb with blood pouring from it. That's the idea of it. That's the blood of Christ. And the Father looks at it and it speaks of better things than the blood that Abel shed of a lamb all those years ago. So we're under the blood. We're washed in the blood. Those who are not under the blood, that which has been is now. And that which is to be hath already been. In other words, God knows the future also. And when Christ died on the cross, he paid our debt, shed his blood for the past, for now it's the present and even into the future. 
Are you washed in the blood this morning? Are you glad of the blood this morning? I am. So here we find. I'm going to have to watch the time. I'll do another part next week. Notice. This verse of Ecclesiastes 3 and 15 gives the idea that all wrongs must be righted. Do you see the slaughter of the innocents in the womb? Millions of them. Millions and millions of them. Do you know from that abominable and damnable legislation was passed and altered by the wicked Westminster government that abortion could happen here in Northern Ireland. Do you see since that's been passed I think it's 664 babies have been slaughtered. Six hundred and sixty-four, I think. Probably more now. All because of the wickedness of man's heart. See, every one of them, and the millions down through the years in the Roe Roe Wade in in America, and all of those. See, the millions and millions of wee unborn babies that have been slaughtered in the womb, that have been given up to the God of Molech of this world. I can tell you. It's as though it's happened right today. And God says, I will avenge this. God's going to avenge this. Do you see the innocent people who were slaughtered in Ulster? God's going to avenge us. Notice here, in Genesis 4 and 10, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, he says. In other words, that which you did to Abel, I see it. Notice here, in comparison, we have the blood of Jesus that speaks louder than heaven than anything else. I'm running us up to close. See, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, it tells us that we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. The word nature is phusis. And phusis, for nature, it means, gives the idea of germs, germination, lineal descent. Lineal descent. Our nature has the germs and lineal descent from Adam or Adam in the garden. We have the ability when we're saved to know right from wrong. But unfortunately, many today don't blush. People out there in the world don't blush. Sin is rife rampant, and whether that's homosexual, 
heterosexual, whether that's whatever it is or whoever it is, it doesn't matter. Sin is rife and it is rampant and our children are being destroyed. Brothers and sisters, I close with this. We have the germs, the lineal descent of Adam. Adam and Eve tried to cover their nakedness with clothes of fig leaves. And hence, the first mention of blood without using the word blood is found in the book of Genesis. Turn with me, please. This is our last verse here. Go to Genesis chapter 3, please. Let your eye run down. Verse 21. Genesis 3 and 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. See, Adam wanted to do fig tree religion. Fig leaves for aprons. And fig tree religion is throughout the world now. Strange how today Judaism is a symbol of a fig, isn't it? A fig tree. The Jews are symbolized in the scriptures as the fig. Their fig tree. They're trying to clothe themselves, looking to build a new temple. They're trying to clothe themselves, trying to get a red heifer. They're trying to clothe themselves, trying to get the priestly uh, lineage right. They're trying to clothe themselves with all of these things. And God says, no. You're trying to clothe yourself with the blood of a lamb. No. The blood of the lamb was shed once and for all. He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. He shed his precious blood. Brothers and sisters, I trust this morning that we are encouraged by dwelling on the blood this morning. Trust that we are enlightened if we didn't know any of those things this morning. And God's will, we'll look at a little more. Let the blood speak. Let the blood speak in your life. Let the blood speak when the devil comes to you. Let the blood speak when you're weary. Let the blood speak whenever you think you can't go on. Let the blood speak when you feel the Lord and you feel that he'll never forgive you. Let the blood speak because it's the only thing that speaks in glory. I'm saying this and I'm definitely finished. The last one was a false alarm. Remember Israel in Egypt and the Lord says take a lamb didn't he slay the lamb and put his blood in a basin take hyssop and put the the hyssop in the blood and put it upon the doorposts and the door lintels of the house he says I'm coming through Egypt this night through passing through he says I'm passing through it was the tenth and final plague of judgment on Egypt. And that was the death of the firstborn. Put the blood on the doorpost of door lintels. Listen to what he says. I'm coming through Egypt. The death angel will pass. And when I see the blood, 
When I see the blood, I will, what does he say? I will, I will pass over you. I'll pass over you. On that day when we stand before God, you know what he's going to look at? He's going to look at, well, Ken Davidson, how many times did you preach? Not at all. How many church services were you at? He's not going to ask you that. He's not going to look for that. He's not going to ask the boys down the back how many times they were in Belfast or other towns around the place preaching, and, and God blesses them. I'm behind you for that too. I think it's fantastic. The Lord bless you there. He's not going to ask him that. I'll tell you what he's going to look for and what he's going to ask. He's going to say, he's going to look for the blood of the Lamb. He's going to look for the blood of the Lamb of God. He's going to look for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you trusted in the blood? Are you under the blood? Are you washed in the blood? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Bless the Lord of the Lamb. 